0: Take a Miss Muffet, sat upon her toffet, eating her cherry, cherry pie. Here come a dreadlocks, come sat down beside her, and take Miss Muffet away. Missed the trade animal, Imani Muffet. Him and the Muffet. England, USA Way down Jamaica, we as I would say The trade at the roughest
1: Professor Winkleman, who we're hello, gonna, hello. Yeah, here, Joel, as many of you may know him, um, and we are going to talk a little bit about the um, the last chapter that you guys are reading in the OAS book by Hertz, and then um, the Tickner piece that you read for class, um, so we're just going to have a pretty loose conversation, I've given um, Joel some quotes and some sort of ideas and thoughts that come out of the book um, that we're going to talk about. But maybe since not everyone knows you, um, you could talk a little bit about, I mean, what do you, what's your experience with Latin America?
0: Uh, Well, uh, I have you to thank for all of it, I think. (laughs) That's the first thing to know, first thing to say. Um, We lived in Mexico for a year and a half, from 2008 to two thousand. 2007, no, 2008 to Eight, 2009, 2009. Yeah. Uh, midway through 2009, we left amid another, not quite pandemic. We did, right? But yeah. we left uh, we left Mexico at the height of the swine flu epidemic, H1N1, I think, as we called it in the U.S. hmm Can't remember. I think they called it swine flu. And...
1: No, they might they call have called it, it H1N1. I'm I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember.
0: I don't remember. Um, and then we w- went to Nicaragua for alternative spring break, lived in Panama, Costa Rica on a research trip and I think that covers it.
1: Yeah, other than your brief visit, we also went to St. Kitts and Nevis.
0: St. Kitts and Nevis, St. Kitts and Which Nevis doesn't count also. as
1: Latin America, I guess, but is in the Americas and certainly part of the Americas part of the OAS.
0: Certainly part of the OAS. Yes. and Caribbean broadly speaking, I think is,
1: yeah, part I mean, of the Americas.
0: Yeah, and parts of it are Latin America. That's
1: true, but not Saint Kitts and Nevis.
0: Not Saint Kitts and Nevis. Not Saint Kitts and Nevis. All right. Well, I think if Guyana gets to be Latin America, it often doesn't actually. It often doesn't. No yeah, kidding. Yeah.
1: So Latin America usually, we talked about this a little bit at the very beginning of class. You guys, you can get we can give like Professor Winkleman a little review here, but Latin America tends to only be the the. Um, rom- romance languages Right So it's the French Barely Right Haiti barely Gets included And then
0: Suriname <laughs>
1: No No Dutch. They're Dutch right. So it's usually Just the Spanish And Portuguese Right You get the Spanish Speaking countries You get Brazil
0: That seems like Splitting hairs I mean I know the culture matters Sort of Or does it I, mean, I don't know I don't know <laughs> We can think on. We can think about it We um, could think about it We could think
1: about um, it But a lot of the Caribbean states Are micro states Um even including countries like Belize, which have less than a million people, so they also have somewhat different dynamics just because their populations are very small.
0: Okay, anyway, okay. Well, thing. Colombia is definitely part of Latin America. It is and indeed. That's, that's what you started me off with here. That Colombia has. This is from Hertz looks like pages 32 through 34 in your book. I don't guess this is a direct quote because it's too short to cross that many pages. It is not a direct quote. Uh, Colombia has very high military spending, second only to the U.S. Is that in the region? Or in, the region in the region, correct. The yeah, world. yeah, yeah. Not in the world. I was going to say, that would be wild. No, no, yeah.
1: I'm sure there are some of the Gulf states that are they're the highest spenders. Yeah. They're big spenders. on the Yeah,
0: military. yeah. Uh, and one of the largest internally displaced populations in the world. So, Colombia has one of the largest internally displaced populations in the world. Correct. And those, that, inter- now, that is a single population, uh, uh, like an ethnic group or a regional, I mean, who is internally displaced?
1: Um, many people from the Civil War. So, both of those facts that you just sort of read out are both linked to Colombia's long, um, ongoing Civil War.
0: Okay. Okay. And so, their internal displacement isn't like, well, let me keep going a little bit. Uh, This pair of distinctions is drawn by, oh, what you just said, is driven by the same cause, the long civil conflict. While it is a civil war, the conflict has numerous international dimensions from U.S. military aid to rebels crossing borders to links to transnational criminal organizations. So a complicated conflict that is technically, I suppose you mean this technically, is a civil war, correct but if we really got into the various forces that are coming into play that are shaping this internal conflict we would see that this is pretty pretty multidimensional
1: absolutely and i mean one of the things that this class is not my regular latin american politics class where we tell deal, deal a lot with domestic politics and in fact in this class we don't look a whole lot at domestic politics um But one of the reasons that the Colombian conflict comes into this is, in fact, because it has so many international dimensions, right? And including – it has tremendous internally displaced population. But many of those sort of – the communities where you had people fleeing the Civil War, a lot of this happened on – you know, around borders where the central state had weak power. So you also had people fleeing into – and people fleeing into Venezuela, right, into neighboring countries. So there there was was also –
0: Colombia borders, Venezuela – and Panama to the north. Right,
1: Panama to the north. Let's see if I can pull you up a map here.
0: Venezuela is to the west, right? Um, Hold on. Let
1: me get you a map.
0: And then the southern border, I would expect, Sorry. would be close to Brazil.
1: Can I draw this map? That's funny. It's a Montessori school's map.
0: <laughs> Let me see. Oh, hold Let on. Let me Let's see. Look. Let me look I at this. not
1: coming up. There it is. So there you can see it. Okay. Lots of water.
0: Lot of water. Oh no. Okay, Colombia, uh, Venezuela, is to the east.
1: Oh, sorry, I wasn't so listening when you were talking. Yeah, that's all right. Uh, I was looking for that map.
0: Ecuador, Peru, so Andean countries. There. Correct,
1: and those countries all were received a fair number of refugees from the. Uh, from the Civil War. And then
0: it looks like there's pro- – I would guess that that border that is the most interior, right, that where it borders Brazil, I would bet that's difficult to control.
1: I think a lot of the borders are difficult to control. A lot of the control. borders
0: are difficult to control.
1: Yeah, by all kinds of things that cross those borders. And so this uh,
0: internal displacement then was not like – it was not like, say, Native American removal in the United States or – like the African diaspora in the United States, it was a much more like chaotic internal displacement. Correct. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. As the result of conflict, and and then also the policies aimed in some cases, in fact, uh, as we're going to talk about as we go, at the, some of the U.S. drug policy has also caused um, some of that um, displacement. Right, right, right. In, I see that here. Um, right, that communities.
0: Some of these links are about transnational criminal organizations, which I assume is. Drug cartels. Correct. Pr- primarily.
1: Primarily, yeah.
0: Although those are pretty heterogeneous organizations, right? I mean, they're not just drugs. Right. Right. It also includes lots of financial crime, money laundering, etc. Right?
1: Yeah, we haven't talked about that much. I'm not sure. I can't remember. I think maybe we'll have the opportunity to talk about that for a little more for the next reading that we do um, from the book Narconomics that we'll talk about later this week.
0: Um, oh, good. Good. Yeah. Preview. Preview. Preview, an inadvertent preview. You want me to do this one next? Yeah, go for it. All right, so here's Hertz again, just cruising through the book if you're reading along. It's page 35. The OAS has historically played a role in helping to negotiate border disputes, something they continue to take a role in. However, drug traffic and transnational criminal activities in general have become the most acute threat to states and individuals alike in Latin America. So what exactly... Can the OAS do right? <laughs> so I don't think of it as a particular. It's, it doesn't have a police force. It's not the. It doesn't have peacekeepers like the UN. No blue helmets. I assume.
1: Well, they have. They do. So this is a fun question, and lots of you in class will can chuckle at how. know yeah, At some point in class, um, one of my students said something like, "But the OAS basically has no teeth," um, which is indeed actually kind of true. Um, so the OAS has served. Mostly, I think, as a forum for discussion, they also have research. Sort of so it's groups. like the
0: Levitt Center of Latin America.
1: <laughs> the Center of Latin
0: America.
1: <laughs> it's true, and it's funny because in this chapter we had talked about, in fact, what are the tools that you know the, the OS has, which are slim. And this chapter had been like, well, they really like use these economic sanctions, and I was like, wait a minute, economic sanctions? Like, I am pretty sure that's not in your quote. I'm pretty sure that I don't remember really them ever doing that. And so I looked up extensively, researched the sort of economic sanctions from the OAS. And it seems like principally... They did like one kind of successful thing where they all agreed, all the American countries agreed not to sell weapons to the Dominican Republic, I think after they had like attacked some Venezuelans or
0: something. That was the sanctions.
1: That was the sanctions. And then they recently have actually passed this economic sanctions sort of thing resolution against Venezuela. Um, But what's interesting about it and why it's actually that goes back to our sort of does the OAS actually have any teeth is that. It basically is just allowing countries to put sanctions on other countries. So as opposed to it being like an actual collective agreement, like it's not that, that all those American countries agreed to put sanctions on Venezuela. They sort of said, if you decide to put sanctions on Venezuela, that's we'll fine. Agree. We'll, we'll like not criticize you. Um, Because, on the other hand, the sort of U.S.-Cuba policy has been opposed by... Contentious within yeah, the OAS. and so it kind of is like the green light more than a kind of concerted policy of sanctions. Um, Because there's actually a lot of divergence in um, policy opinions and goals in, in so the OAS. Would,
0: so the counterfactual would be that in the absence of the OAS, a member state might not abide by or oppose is that what you're saying
1: i mean i think that the the goal like
0: the world without the oas who sells does someone still sell guns to the dr
1: i mean in that instance maybe it was effective right it sounded like it was actually a fairly it was like that that was back i think in the 60s or something i can't remember what the date of that was but it was a while back um and in that case, it may have actually been a kind of concerted policy. But it seems that it, even though the OAS goes for this kind of universal, like consensus making, it's like part of the OAS. And I think really the group is far more normative than otherwise. I think they also have some influence in terms of allowing the large development banks to then turn on and off funds.
0: I see. Right. I see. So, so it's they not with financial power.
1: Yeah, and they do a lot of this like monitoring, they write reports. Right? I mean, it is this joke of like, the Levitt Center of the, <laughs> the Americas. I mean, there is some sense in which it's like largely seems to be a body that has more you know, of that role than
0: influence you know, rather than power. Correct. Right, yeah, influence yeah. and not power. Yeah. Now, and I mean it has
1: I think has been um as we've talked about quite a bit in class like there's been a bit of a contentious relationship with the united states in the region and sort of how that body works and whether it's a counter you know whether there's pushback against the us or whether it's being used as a tool of the us has been i think a sort of rotating cuz periodically like in the cold war the us basically didn't play and then the organization was almost not a kind of defunct it was not a major player in the region and then after the end of the cold war um that sort of moral power became more important with this sort of push for democracy promotion.
0: And so drug trafficking... Drug trafficking. Here, I mean, uh, I'm... I guess I'm wondering, given the United States' enormous appetite for drugs... (laughs) Correct. Right? Like, what exactly... How does the OAS kind of intermediate into this problem? Where, I mean, yeah, this is just there's just a big market. One of its states is a huge market. Several of its states are huge producers. Other states are giant distributors. This is a market that clearly they functions well. As in a certain yeah, and functions well, right? I mean, I mean,
1: one of the things that the OAS is good for in this, and I mean, my students actually have their next position paper is going to be a, a sort of scenario about drugs and you know, how their country would think about using the OAS. But the sort of important role that I think the OAS has served in some of these has been information sharing so that your the countries are better able to sort of cooperate and understand the sort of some of these processes and flows of both drugs and migrants. So and like those a think tank. A little bit like a think tank.
0: Do you pay dues to
1: the OAS? <laughs> you do pay and because there are some of these things come with budgets, right? Right. So there are, you know, different kinds of aid that comes. And it is attached to other institutions in the Americas, right? uh, Okay. And there's also been some of it has been, like, you know, white papers about this chapter talked about more sharing of, like, what the military budgets are in different countries and what the military's like training looks like and, and so the OAS
0: paid for our uh, time in Mexico. They did. Do they they know did. That? They Do did. I students don't know that? I
1: don't know if I told them that.
0: Yeah, the OAS paid for our time in Mexico. It mean, did. It was a pit. So did our student loans. So did
1: massive and more student loans. But student yeah, I was loans. on a scholarship from the OAS. Um I maybe told them that. I don't remember. But $600 a month.
0: Maybe 8. No, $600, $600 a month. I think our rent was 800. Right? <laughs>
1: Until we moved into that tea tiny place in Oaxaca, that right. was like one hundred dollars a month.
0: When we were living romantically, when we were living <laughs> romantically.
1: <laughs> That's what one of Joel's friends said when we were ragingly sick to our stomach and living in this tea tiny apartment. Uh, it was one room the sh- apartment. You want me to keep going with this? Keep number going. Forty. Yeah, I'm number sorry. Four. Number three. Yeah. 100.
0: All right. So here's forty and forty-one. During the 2003 Special Security Conference, the concept of sovereignty was reaffirmed. That's national sovereignty, or yes the o s this is
1: one of the reasons that the o s has a hard time doing anything is because they're really into sovereignty
0: national sovereignty national sovereignty, so, which is
1: i mean as you might imagine, this is a big uh attempt to not be run over by the united states
0: right 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 right, right, so it's a highly decentralized organization or it supports it, it refuses to, it actively refuses to centralize regional policy.
1: To centralize, and I think it's part of the reason why they are less effective in some ways than they might be is because they're not willing to make anybody follow anybody else, kind of, right? So they have this, like, strong democracy promotion mandate. A lot of cooks. But, a
0: lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, A lot of cooks in the kitchen.
1: But with a sort of extensive U.S. history, nobody wants to tell anybody else what to do because of it course. smacks pretty strong of, of U.S. inter... Of imperialism, imperialism right? And...
0: I mean, this is cha- that's an interesting element yeah. of some of the challenges of international cooperation in a region defined by centuries of imperialism, right? And, and where continue that continue to try to cooperate with one of those former powers, exactly, right? right?
1: That you're still working with this player that is um, you kind of hate, but right. you also need and you also like maybe, and you know, right. want to emulate right. in certain ways. But
0: if you're Costa Rica.
1: <laughs> you're good. Just kidding. They they have they they had more robust welfare. Uh, <laughs>
0: Wasn't that the joke in Costa Rica that the they
1: wanted to be the U.S.? Yeah, right.
0: Probably that's what my Spanish teacher there told me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Joel's s-
1: taken Spanish in a number of Latin American countries:
0: Mexico, Costa Rica, two.
1: Oh, you didn't take any in Panama. I, I guess. didn't take any in you Panama. Know, that's right. No. You decided you were fine at that point.
0: Well, yeah, I guess I was good enough. You were good enough. Good enough.
1: You were good enough.
0: Good. I can get around. Yeah. I can get a, what do we call that a, what do you call that a, shoot, the thing with the, The, the they, they don't call it just a coco.
1: Oh, yeah. What no. do they call it in Panama? Pipa. A pipa. A pipa. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's the when you get the coconut water in the coconut. Yeah. They like cut off that. the top. Yeah.
0: 75 cents, something like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, reaffirming sovereignty. The conference also highlighted major differences in orientation in the region. I bet. Chile focused on human security. Colombia on illegal armed groups. What does human security mean?
1: <laughs> that's why I gave you this card.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know <laughs> Colombia and illegal armed groups. That's like clearly a reference to the FARC. Uh, Focusing on human security, I suppose that this has to do with the aftermath of the dirty war. Is that right? Oh, or no? n-
1: you know, I mean, maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit of that kind of sort of thing. Um, I love this human. Finish the. Is there okay. more on the human card? human
0: security in Chile? Illegal armed groups in Colombia, drug trafficking and terrorism, maybe in Argentina. Drug trafficking and terrorism in Argentina. Yeah, in Brazil. And Brazil I think. Yeah. As poverty. As a threat in itself. Grammar here is a little hard for me oh, to yeah, parse. Oh, yeah, sorry.
1: I think it's said that the, in Argentina and Brazil, they were concerned with poverty as a threat.
0: Oh, I see. Colombia's illegal armed groups, drug trafficking, and terrorism. Correct. That's all the FARC. Correct, right.
1: right. <laughs> well, uh, and I mean, they have many groups. It's not just the FARC. Right,
0: right, 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 right. Okay, so this is 2003. Um.
1: Yeah, so this I found really fascinating. So this was a chapter on security and on the OAS on security. And this conference in 2003 was like this important conference. Um, It was called – oh, I don't have what the conference was called. But in any case, it was this big conference on security that then produced, obviously, a resolution and a report. the resolution had – These like clauses, you know, in the sort of parliamentary procedure way, right? Decide that
0: human security is important. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So, okay, but no countries are named, right? I see.
0: Whereas we support human security, absolutely. Whereas we are opposed to illegal armed groups. Exactly. So it goes. Be resolved that correct. Don't sell guns to
1: the DR. (laughs) Don't know. This is later. We're fine with the DR now. Okay. Okay. So it has A to Z of things that they're, Uh like, affirming or whatever. This hodgepodge. And I was like, human security? What is, what exactly does human security even mean? So I pull up, I find the document.
0: Seguridad Humano or something like that? Well, I pulled up the English
1: one. I didn't, yeah, I mean, I don't know what the, I should have pulled it up and seen what it said in the Spanish, but I didn't do that. That's actually also curious to think about what the translation is. Yeah, you know. Um. But I Googled human security because that was the way it was in the book. Um, and so what was fascinating to me about this declaration is this: the where I found the human security one um, was in this point E, right? So what is that? Five down? Five e is down, the letter yeah. E. And I'll read it. It says, in our hemisphere, as democratic states committed to the principles of the Charter of the United Nations and the OAS, we reaffirm that the basis and purpose of security is the protection of human beings. Security is strengthened when we deepen its human dimension. Conditions for human security are improved through full respect for people's dignity, so human, human rights, rights yeah. and fundamental freedoms, as well as the promotion of social and economic development, social inclusion, and education, and the fight against poverty, disease, and hunger. So this is a resolution about security, right? This is a charter right. on You're sneaking human secu- rights into... And then the okay. next one, it well, not only human rights, right, but like social and economic development. I mean, you've got all this. The next point F, right,
0: okay.
1: is that, um, which I mean, this is fitting with the OAS, but also fascinating thinking about this in a document about security, um, is that education for peace and the promotion of a democratic culture play a key role in the development of states, the strengthening of stability and the consolidation of our hemisphere as a region where understanding and mutual respect, dialogue and cooperation prevail. Isn't that wild? It's
0: pretty weird. The next one was it's like about weird. women.
1: And it's like it takes you, I forget what letter you end up on before you're actually talking about security threats that we would more traditionally terrorists Terrorism. and you know illegal Dang. groups. It's like you're on M or something. <laughs> Maybe it's a little earlier, but this stuff was much more foregrounded than the more traditional like, we'll work out our border disputes and we'll go against transnational crime. And
0: Well, it's like it's a recognition. I mean- it's I mean this sound, that's like sounds like NGO boilerplate. Right? <laughs> I mean I suppose, In a sense I suppose. it's NGO boilerplate.
1: But it's kind of fascinating, right? I mean, could you imagine a US security docu- document that was like the promotion of social and economic development, social inclusion, education and the fight against
0: poverty in 2003, heaven's no. No, in 2003, Probably not that even we're, now we're right? still really 9/11. I mean, Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know.
1: I mean, I just can't imagine a document with, like, whatever the title was, the Charter for Security in the Hemisphere, you know. It was interesting to me that you had this, like.
0: I see that as greater evidence of the marginality of the OAS.
1: Yeah, maybe that's true. Well, no, but there's also not a lot of, I mean, it is true that this transnational security, there's not a lot of interstate war.
0: Right. In the right, Americas. Right right, 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 right. I
1: mean, there have been these border scuffles, but I mean
0: Yeah, and it's not in not even historically. Correct. Right? Correct. So you not only not now, but historically the major aggressors have been European powers or the United States.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, it was the US who kept coming also in like taking over people's states more than the other I mean, Britain regional. Britain the Falklands. Yeah, Britain still does have the Falklands. And the OS couldn't do anything about that, I don't think. Not sure where that stands exactly. I think that right. came up in this chapter.
0: I mean, that's an interesting... It may have as much to do with the absence of real security threats. Well, I mean, the security threats I mean, are external, in, are, internal, are internal, right? And they're all driven. I mean, Crime.
1: Mean, and, I mean, 2003, I guess, is before a lot of this increase. In, but it's on the rise at that point, I would imagine, right? The beginning of some of this.
0: When you would expect you know. that people in the OAS would have... The kind of awareness that most of these things that they're talking about—the hum- these threats to human security and illegal armed groups, etc.—are all. I mean, they're all evidence of state weakness, or they're all right. problems of state weakness and poverty too. And po- right? Well, well yeah, you know. but I mean, isn't that? Well, maybe not. Well, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Right. Okay. I'm gonna keep moving. Keep moving. Uh, page fifty-five. The OAS has also included migration, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in its agenda. The issue being treated as a human rights matter. The OAS sponsors the exchange of best practices and cooperate. It's like a management consultant. <laughs> uh, the exchange of best- its a weird org. It's a weird org. It's a weird organization. Uh, yeah. I mean, weird organization.
1: But think about, I mean, the rhetorical power where they produced the report maybe too early that the Bolivian elections are flawed is part of what led to the overthrow of Evo Morales, right? So, I mean, it's, again, this, like, toothless, weird,
0: So who works for the OAS? I mean, I would assume that the OAS is, I mean, how large is its staff?
1: That I don't know the answer to. I mean, you have the top layer, which is like the dignitary kind of, right? You have the ambassadors. But the bureaucratic
0: layer is drawing a group of transnational Latin American. Certainly. Absolutely. Highly educated professionals. 100%. Right.
1: But it also, like in some of the monitoring, like, you know, when I worked at the Carter Center for that year and the put together some of these like electoral monitoring stuff you also brought I mean they were bringing together professors and you know that people that do that monitoring aren't always staff of these not NGOs right they're like oh like you know this person is a expert on Venezuela so like we're going to ask them to come and monitor the Venezuelan elections or this person is an expert on you know whatever so some of it is also these like that they're networking Mm-hmm. sent right? <laughs> they're like linkedin for yeah, experts yeah. on the americas or whatever You know.
0: well it makes sense right i mean in a sense what the oas really the levitt is, center is doing and, and i mean absolutely i guess this metaphor has really stuck with me but it sounds to me like part of what the oas is doing is despite the fact that it's not centralizing any kind of decision making or centralizing any policy it is providing a certain kind of centralization of human capital. Right. right? Yeah. That you are essentially provide this organization. What's great about having an organization like this is that it creates a magnet for highly educated Latin Americans. Right. Including people in the United States, right? I mean, including highly educated people from the region to coordinate And Canada. In Canada. (laughs) To Canada? Canada. Canada. For the the Americas. Yeah. That's bizarre.
1: It's the Americas. Organization right, of American right. Is State. Belize in there? Yeah, all the Caribbean is in there. They were a little later. The Caribbean states.
0: Weird. So you got. I mean, that's a weird organization. Mm-hmm. No wonder it can't do anything. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it makes perfect sense why it can't. I mean, it doesn't make any sense that it exists other than to me personally. To me, other than.
1: Well, it's to promote dialogue, right? I mean, the whole idea is that you have.
0: It's to promote dialogue. Its mission is promoting.
1: <laughs> its mission is promoting dialogue. Cool. I think. Cool, cool, I mean. Cool. Cool. I mean, in this moment, I feel like
0: you can kind of it. see it, you know. Absolutely. It's valuable, right? Absolutely. Okay, so exchanging best practices. Yeah, that dialogue. And cooperation among sending, transit, and receiving countries in order to respect and protect the human rights of migrants and promote more effective exchange of information.
1: Yeah, we're going to read a lot of dark shit about migration coming up, so I sort of thought I would just put that in there as a... So the aspirational goal here oas
0: cares about this problem
1: the people presumably
0: yeah. so they're just signaling we recognize migration is a huge part of our region
1: i mean the other thing i guess i would say is that i think in the sense that you just said that what the oas is doing is creating this sort of network of these sort of transnational actors or like cosmopolitan actors right I mean, I would also say that the, it is tending to be actors that are committed to the values of democracy and it's human an rights and right. Yeah. Okay. So that, you know, I mean, in terms of if we think about it as an organization that pushes um, norms. Right. That, that's like partly these are actors that are going to stand up for migrants, even when their own states are not necessarily. So if you work right, for the like,
0: OAS, you send a lot of emails. Exactly. You go to a lot of summits. Conferences. 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 A hundred
1: percent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You're just flying around the region, going to summits and conferences. Yeah. Talking on having Zoom meetings with people, connecting, networking you. OK. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. Sounds like a cool life.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe they'll hire me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't
0: say that. Don't say that. All right. What? I wonder what they're doing about COVID.
1: Oh, well, uh, we're going to think about the that AS this semester, COVID. too, a little bit here.
0: All right. You want to do one? No, No, I, I keep go. going? Okay. Keep going. Keep All going. All right. I got this one from Teichner. Teichner. Sorry, Teichner. Didn't you read Teichner in grad school? Someone Teichner? Deborah Teichner?
1: Uh, yes. Uh... She wrote The Politics of Freeing Markets. What's her first name? I have another I book coming. Deborah. No, Deborah that's Yasher. Not, yeah, that's not right. Jamie. No, it's not Jamie.
0: Mildred. Mildred. Anyway, no. I have
1: a book coming about my financial Martha? inclusion work. Margaret. It's not it's all right. of those things.
0: <laughs> no, uh, I can't think Tichner. of it. Judith. Judith Teichner. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, Tickner, page 77, she says, any discussion of United States policy in Colombia must begin with drugs. Yes. Since the mid-1980s, I bet, that's, I bet that sucks if you're from Colombia and everyone's always like, drugs? Oh, yeah. I'm it's sure. like, I'm sure it's, it's probably, do you think it's worse than Italian-Americans and the mafia? Or the same?
1: Mm, I bet now it's worse. Because worse. I bet some of the Italians and the mafia thing has faded.
0: Post-Sopranos?
1: Well, that's now old news.
0: Right. I mean, right, there's those shows that are, like, Narcos.
1: Right, there's, like, the shows Shows are are Narcos narcos now, right? right. Exactly, exactly. I mean, maybe now it's more Mexico with the Narcos. Now, so does
0: that mean that the United States is doing a better job of incorporating Latin culture? Right, I mean, isn't... By
1: stereotyping into the drug countries or whatever.
0: (laughs) What do you mean? Well, I mean, is that how it goes, right? I mean, right, you replace you... a certain immigrant with their these negative stereotypes, and if you're saying that the Italians have now been superseded by, all right, this is I stupid.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which, which, is, which on Netflix and HBO shows, right? You could do a survey, but there, I think there's a lot of drug stuff out. But I think Mexico, maybe. I,
0: I guess my point is, I, bet I don't it know. You guys sucks. could
1: tell me in in your TV consumption, since so I imagine you're all watching a lot of television, whether you think who's. So who in the region has the worst drug stereotype right now?
0: Colombia or Mexico. I think right? Mexico. Probably Mexico. Colombia is probably old news. But People they did make that show. People the Should... cartel.
1: Didn't we try to watch that one Narcos show? Wasn't that about Colombia and I couldn't stand Narcos? it? Narcos?
0: Yeah, Narcos was about Colombia. Then they made he was a new supposed one that's to be... about Mexico. He was supposed to be, what's his the name? The DEA agent. The DEA agent?
1: Yeah, I remember it was like the DEA agent. Anyway, whatever you guys can tell us your thoughts about Narcos. I couldn't watch it. Yeah, I decided little, I didn't like
0: it. Yeah, it was a little melodramatic. Yeah. Um. Okay. So we have to begin with drugs. I mean, I just feel like it will probably suck to be Colombian. It would be like, drugs? Whoa. Okay.
1: Well, it wouldn't suck to be Colombian, but to be recognized no, no. It by... Would <laughs> be, it would suck...
0: No, 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 no. That's what I mean. Like, that yeah, would yeah. be the suckiest part of right. being Colombian. Sorry.
1: Right. Is having everyone be like, oh, is there cocaine
0: everywhere? Yeah. You some cocaine. Yeah. All right, so since the mid 1980s, when illicit narcotics were declared a lethal threat to America's national security, the drug issue has been central to relations with Colombia. Washington's counter narcotics policies have been based on repressive, prohibitionist, and hardline language on strategies that have changed little in the past few decades, the last few decades. The manner in which Colombia itself has addressed the drug problem derives substantially from the United States approach. That's on page 77 in your Tickner reading. So... The manner in which Colombia itself has addressed the drug problem derives substantially from the United States' approach. So, what's up with this sovereignty thing? The OAS asserting sovereignty has something to do with this, I assume.
1: Well, I mean, this is now. We, so, so if we come, we're coming back around. So, we the OAS book is all about the OAS. This piece is little about the OAS, right? Okay. This piece okay. is much more about the bilateral relations between the U.S. and Colombia, and about the way that the U.S. has framed. Uh, colombian efforts but i kind of liked that we sort of began opened with the oas quote and then sort of are moving into this piece that's actually showing what some of this looks like in practice and i mean one of the things in class that we've thought a lot about is the historical relationship between the united states and the region and that sort of usurpation of sovereignty right 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 that i mean this is why the oas and here we sort of see a modern day example of this sort of Way in which the United States, through their funding, is actually determining national policy, domestic policy in Colombia. So right? Through
0: their funding.
1: Yeah, and I mean this. Just to point out, this Tickner article was written in 2003. Um, but lest you think that this is old news, um, I was looking at sort of what the con- contemporary funding is. Colombia still is the biggest aid recipient. U.S. aid recipient. Recipient of foreign aid from the U.S. in the region, right? So, in spite of the fact that there are other countries that are poorer the or highest whatever, highest military
0: spending too. So that correct is probably a lot of military. Aid. So here's
1: what I have I could get for you from a Congressional Research Service report: is that um, Congress, the U.S. Congress, appropriated more than ten billion for Plan Colombia, which was the drug anti-drug plan, and its follow-on programs between fiscal year 2000 and fiscal year 2016. About 20% of which was funded through the US Department of Defense. Right? It's right? So it's military money. Military jets money. and helicopters. Probably Correct. not jets,
0: but helicopters. Yeah, maybe. Guns, I don't know ammo. what all. Yeah.
1: Uh, fumigation planes, that kind of
0: stuff, also. Agent Orange, man. No,
1: no. it's like uh, herbicide. So we drop mad amounts of herbicide that kills humans and illicit crops as well as drugs. Right. Cool, cool, yeah, cool, cool. How's your cool. life? Yeah. Awesome. How's your
0: life internally, displaced people? Yeah,
1: correct. Um, then since 2017, Congress has provided nearly $1.2 billion in additional assistance for Colombia. Um, for 2019, Congress appropriated four... $418.1 million in foreign aid, um, which encompassed efforts to promote peace and reconciliation, assist rural communities, and continue counter-narcotic support through the U.S. State Department. And so they're
0: getting state money. They're getting DOD money. And USAID money. So the USAID Agency Mo- for is USAID International and state? Development.
1: Uh, I think it's its own bag. It's its own bag? Um, it's different money, right? So the money is coming through different... Things the USAID money is more like um, here's like a program so that if you stop producing so what coca, it, what were the you percentages? can. Well, I only know that it's four hundred and eighteen million dollars in the last appropriation. Total. Okay, um, and I don't have all the percents. Twenty of twenty percent of which from this one period came from Department DOD, right? Right. And then we've con- you know, Congress has signed two continuing resolutions for twenty twenty um, with aid levels set to match. That so so we still are um, throwing a lot of money their way, and a lot of right. it is still tied to this very militarized um, policies that you read and about. Very hardline policies. Very hardline, very militarized policies that Not you read development about.
0: Development policy. Right. Well, Well, what's sort
1: of fun is, you know, when we talk, fun, fun, I say darkly, right, is, you know, in the way in which we talked about some of those policies during the Central American Civil Wars, when we were reading the Schultz book, I think this came up, um, where the U.S. is simultaneously funding sort of military side and then also rural development. That is actually what's happening also in the Colombian case. Right. So they're like, please grow coffee instead of coca. And then they're like fumigating all the fields that may even potentially include. Uh, coffee fields if they're near coca right do you see what i'm saying
0: right 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 and then this gets really confusing to me because i imagine that so whatever congress thinks about colombia i'm sure they think a lot less about colombia than they think about how they can use appropriations bills like this to serve their own electoral interests, right? Certainly. And so you've got this policy. So you've got Colombia, the the state that's the recipient state here, mm-hmm. who is receiving all kinds of crazy mixed funding streams Correct. for different kinds of activities, being administered. Well, being del- so. I mean, who even knows? I, I don't know the the. Internal politics well enough to understand exactly how those <laughs> different pots of money are being administered, right? And then if we go further back to the to the to the giving state, then we've got the same confused mess of shit on the other side,
1: right? The thing that's kind of interesting, actually, I think, and especially if we think back, um, if my students think back to the sort of Schultz reading so we did early on is we saw a lot of this like policy inconsistency out of the US coming from the um coming from that switching between like a Democrat and Republican policy priorities right so that you see that like okay we cared about this but then it became like, politicized in the u.s and then it like switches around and a different party wins but and that it's, like, deep right? state is keeping well going. the deep state keeps it going but what's and one of the things that's interesting apart from that is that the democrats and the republicans have been relatively consistent on columbia policy maybe because okay. we've never actually had a like different take on drugs Right, right. I mean, I guess now this current marijuana legalization, but that really hasn't shifted.
0: We're not to a harm reduction. No, not at all. And that has never become a
1: political split, right? I mean, like everybody would be like, "Stop cocaine." I mean, like we're still a
0: generation away from drugs being an issue in the United States, like in 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 the technical sense of an issue.
1: So I think that because that hasn't been politicized, and because it's also very remote from, like the consequences for these people. I mean, maybe Mexico will change some of this too, where you actually have people and like maybe the Central American caravans and stuff, right? Where you have people actually fleeing into the United States, but Colombia is right. very far, right? right I mean right, right. we don't you have like the
0: Darien gap.
1: mass. We don't have like mass amounts of Colombian refugees that are like streaming across our southern border that will then make us think, wait, what are we doing with our policy, right? So that, that also has made I think it be less politicized, politically salient in the United States, so it sort of doesn't matter. It's like, you know, activists might care, but, like, you haven't had the same kind of general public concern over, like, I mean, probably most. Right, this is
0: approving the executive branch to spend this money.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I had if I had polled my students about who receives the most foreign aid, I'm not sure they would have picked Colombia, right? Or if I I had asked you beforehand, you know, who do you think in the region receives the most money from the U.S.? I would have said Mexico. Right.
0: Well, I mean, before Trump. Right, sure. Right, before Trump I would have said Mexico. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, all right. So going to the next page in your Tickner reading. Given the sense of moral superiority that has traditionally characterized United States relations with the rest of the world, that's bizarre, uh, drug consumption is understood as being prompted by the availability of illegal drugs, which are concentrated, unsurprisingly, in the countries of the periphery. It is not seen as a problem originating in the demand for drugs in the United States or in the prohibitionist strategies that have traditionally characterized America's handling of this issue. While this rationale clearly runs contrary to common sense economic rules of supply and demand, I'm sorry, common sense economic rules of supply and demand, that's an adjective, it tends to reinforce the underlying assumption of moral purity on which America's sense of self is partly based. How about that? That's a mic drop moment right there for Tickner, it seems. Uh, Yeah, I suppose that's, I mean, it obviously makes for stupid policy. (laughs) right? I mean, it makes for obviously counterproductive policy, right? If you're not doing anything to curb demand, demand is high for drugs in the United States. If you do nothing to do to combat demand and you just try and control the supply, I mean, it's insanity.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's insanity.
1: Well, one of the things that is interesting is this. So I think that I, I like this for a couple of reasons. Um, so one, th- this piece that you – the part of this piece that you didn't see yet because I haven't given you that – that was the last quote I think I had given you, but she makes this argument that basically we have, okay, so we've got this like moral superiority part and we've sort of overlaid this based on our politics of the moment, right? So that first we, in the sort of 80s and 90s, we ended up overlaying this sort of like moral superiority about drugs over our politics about communists and guerrilla fighters, right? So then we created basically the narco-guerrilla, right? The, or the narco-guerrilla, like if you're sort of doing the English version. That-
0: and so that replaced our communist threat, or it was fused so it was fused, right? Threat.
1: So our con—we don't like the communists, so we in- hate drugs. We hate, hate drugs, the and commies. we ha- so that we see our policy initially sort of has this very heavy overtones of fighting the FARC, right? Which is one of the big—you know, communists don't do cocaine. So, so this is one of the real booched sort of U.S. policy goals, right? Or policy like. Programs, right? Is that, and the Colombian government, of course, knows that they have to take the U.S. military money about drugs, and maybe they don't care that much about drugs, but they care a lot about the FARC, right? The Colombian right, state, right, right, right. right? But the Colombian state knows that they have to like be like, yes, yes, drugs, right? So, so they're, they're like, oh, the narco guerrillas, like, yeah, like we hate the narco guerrillas. They're definitely narco guerrillas, and it's not to say that the FARC wasn't. Also, the FARC in that time period especially had huge swaths of territory where cocoa leaves were being grown. And the FARC was taxing that to some degree and and participating in the drug economy. It wasn't like they were out of it. But they were not like the huge players in like the Colombian cocaine trade. Right, right? Right. But the way in which that money got spent ended up. Privileging sort of the the Colombian state's sort of fight against the FARC And sort of being very much tied together As though those issues were fused And then Interestingly um, In the 90s we actually The sort of drug policy that was happening At the time takes The Colombian state along with U.S. assistance right Takes down the Medellin and the Cali cartels uh, Which if you guys have been watching Nargos, I think this deals with some of that stuff but right definitely definitely i think that's who um, it was supposed to be I escobar right escobar. Pablo escobar
0: Escobar, that's who was supposed to be um
1: there. so in any case right those cartels get taken down and one of the things that happens with that fragmentation is that the the like all these rebel groups which is not just the FARC at this point end up splintering and becoming well as as the drug trafficking orgs that were more centralized splinter That actually more control comes to these political groups Right, so the FARC actually right. becomes more, more involved powerful. and more powerful in the drug trade post the, drugs, the right. like, d- collapse of these, as well as these right-wing... So they
0: become narco-terrorists.
1: Okay, so then, right, so the narco guerrillas is the first term. Then September 11th happens, and then we stop caring... Oh, right, they're
0: terrorists. Right, right by now we've
1: sto- sort of stopped caring about the la- the communists, right? The Cold War has ended in this period, right? And now we care about terrorists. And then we get the, n- the label of narco-terrorist comes. Like Maduro. Exactly. So this is where I want to go. So, okay. So one of the things that's funny about this shift in language, funny is not the right word, but like interesting, I think, is that it actually becomes in certain regard, right? The narco gorilla was never a real, I mean, never a real thing really, right? And that there was like the sort of right wing. if
0: the narco gorilla was never a thing, then like the narco terrorist (laughs) is like a simulation of a thing that was never even a thing. So what's
1: funny is like, okay, so there was the, there's a group called, um, death to kidnappers it's one of the right wing groups that was fighting back a against colombian right wing group. correct um and they were always involved in the drug trade so it was like this very w- lopsided like we only were fighting the left that was involved in the drug trade but we weren't fighting any of the like right wing but once we got to so narco death to
0: kidnappers was a drug they were involved in the drug trade
1: yeah well they were also started taking drug money off they become more involved again after we the cartels get are destroyed but in any case what happens as you move to narco-terrorists is it does democratize things a little bit where like the right-wing groups also become narco-terrorists in the u.s's eyes right so instead of it just being the left now you actually get a little bit more you don't care
0: about ideology anymore
1: well now maybe they're all narco-terrorists right yeah because
0: right ideology i mean i still think we
1: privileged the right because the state did you know but like even no matter who our regime was. But like right. because this you know, when you have like these guys like Guaribe, who was a right wing guy. Right. Um, you get that privileging. Um so anyway, okay, so you get that. Um and then but what's the fun about that is as you as the, the success in the drug war splinters the actual just straight up drug cartel dudes like okay, Escobar the narcos. you actually the U.S. actually had a hand in kind of creating the narco-terrorists that it was afraid of, right? Because then those actual more course, political yeah. groups become more involved in the right. more powerful in the drug trade, right? So it's sort of ironic, right? Um, and we, of course, had basically no success in actually affecting production, trafficking, or consumption, which has remained the same. So no matter what we've done, right, It's that stuff right, is you all. you keep the
0: demand where it is, people are going to meet that demand. right. And right. so I
1: think the last thing – you don't have another card, do you?
0: I've got uh, two left.
1: Oh, I thought that we were done. I thought – maybe no, I, I got, preempted you I got on got two some left. of these cards.
0: And you <laughs> did. You did. You just read my two cards.
1: <laughs> I was like, I thought I had some more cards. It comes from
0: 79 70, – pages 79 and 78 about the Cold about. War and the shift from – Oh, yeah, The shift yeah. priorities from I September I thought I had 11. given you that. Yeah, you had. I just didn't get there. Oh, yeah, sorry. I thought you were finished. You preempted me. Well –
1: well, that's fine. Well, in any case, so there are some good quotes about that stuff that I didn't just Pages make. Page of
0: 78, 79.
1: Joel Reed. Um, but we can talk briefly about this. Well, this one thing that I wanted to end on was the stuff about Venezuela, right, which is I don't know if you guys have been caught this because it's come hidden in all the corona news, which is about all I've been reading about also, um, some of which is actually interestingly related to Latin America um, which I will have you guys look at if you noticed on the syllabus. Um,
0: you what, know. a $15 million reward for the capture of Nicolau Maduro?
1: So, yeah, so Maduro has, last week, the U.S. put out an arrest warrant for Maduro and some of his inner circle um, with a huge reward. Um, crazy. 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 Um, and the Who's language, driving that
0: policy? State?
1: It was the AG, the Attorney General, was the one that spoke out about Department it.
0: Department of Justice. Oh, so he got he got Barr to do it. Barr did it. So Barr did, listen this to is this insanity. Listen to this quote.
1: This is pure insanity. So, um, he's the crimes that Maduro is accused of include in the list: narco-terrorism. Like this word that we've just been talking about, talking about how it was kind of meaningless, right? That you have this. So narcoterrorism. what exactly
0: is the U.S. interest? But wait, in I gotta, gotta read you this okay. before. All
1: right. Okay. The so Barr, the U.S. Attorney General, accused Maduro of quote dis- deploying cocaine as a weapon.
0: Deploying cocaine as a weapon to
1: undermine the United States. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that that like early moralism from the Tickner about like our moral thing about drugs and then combined with the like narco terrorist stuff? It's like all bundled into this like totally contemporary modern day package.
0: Yeah. Although I also feel like it's part of uh, our new American politics where we're obsessed with like the weaponization of everything.
1: Maybe like, so.
0: We're obsessed with describing shit as weaponized all the time. Yeah. Right? Like, the state is... I mean, we're all... Like, we've gotten so paranoid.
1: I mean, that may be true, but this one was crazy. Deploying cocaine as a weapon against it's, the United States. I mean, this it's is pure like bonkers. It's pure insanity.
0: That's, that's some...
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a really crazy position. And, I mean, again, if we're, like, thinking back at the, uh, to the OAS, I mean, Maduro is now backed completely into a corner. So, like, any sense that you might have a negotiated transition. How does the
0: OAS relate to Maduro?
1: So, they kicked him out.
0: They kicked him out.
1: And Guaido's people are in the OAS now. Whoa. Yeah.
0: Was that... That had to have been contentious in the region.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure. Wouldn't you expect? I'm sure. Because there's still some... I think in the Caribbean, I think they think that the Caribbean tend to be, like, more... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They like the Venezuela. But, I mean, a lot
1: of the left is out in Latin America, right? And, I mean, Venezuela is a hot mess, right? I mean, there's, like, tremendously bad. And, like, I mean, as you start thinking about. right.
0: A lot of people hate Venezuela now, right? Right. The Brazilians, like, mistreat the Venezuelans like crazy, right?
1: Have well I mean I'm sure I mean there's a lot of, racism, of racism against the refugees discrimination there
0: yeah it's across common. the region right It's
1: common in refugee flows we I mean we've heard about it in Panama, Panama right and that was yeah. 2 years
0: ago at this point Yeah um it hasn't gotten the flow of people out of Venezuela I assume has not changed
1: Well I mean the coronavirus if you think about I mean we haven't talked about internal politics but the internal politics in Venezuela is like that the I mean there the hospitals are Um, it's going to be bad. I mean, there's, like, plenty of people that are now calling for, like, that you have to end the sanctions because, like, what's going to happen to the Venezuelan people that are there? And, you know, I mean, it's – and meanwhile, the U.S. is, like – Let's get them. I mean, and it's scary because in a certain regard, this is, I mean, maybe it'll sort of work with sort of scare quotes this time. But if you think about the sort of policy we've had towards Cuba, which in every moment that we were like, now, if we really put the screws on them, this will work. And it never worked. And so you worry that, you know, what suffering is this going to cause? But I mean, the idea is that because of the COVID, that the opposition Guaido can't hold rallies because you can't have people together. And so it's really put kind of the kibosh on the opposition's ability to...
0: Uh, Organized. So and so I think theoretically, this actually bouncing.
1: may be like, right. Yeah, that right. like you now is the bouncing. moment that you like, that the, yeah. the, the country is going to be falling apart because of the pandemic. And so, right. You know, right. So I don't know. But I was amazed at that as I was preparing for class and thinking about this Venezuela situation and thinking about that language. I was, I mean, it is surprised. interesting
0: that it's almost like, You know, Trump, with all of his anti-immigration rhetoric, uh, we don't talk about terrorism very much anymore.
1: It's true, I guess.
0: Not nearly as much as we used to, Mm -hmm. which is just kind of an interesting, it's kind of interesting.
1: Terrorism's out.
0: And these, I mean, and here the drugs are in. Right. Right. Right.
1: Well, I mean, it's sort of weird in all of this. I mean, it's true with the Colombian example, too, which I mean, the groups in Colombia were committing. I mean, what we might call terrorist acts, right? Because there there was, I mean, plenty of examples of these assorted groups. If we think about terrorism as like violence against civilians, right? That like this is what makes something terrorist, right? Is that it's like okay, sure. So yeah, what what makes a terrorist attack is that instead of attacking the state, you attack its people,
0: sure, right? You
1: are not you are not targeting a political target you're targeting just ordinary people. This did happen, you know, to sort of say that they have, like, that you had these like narco terrorists or whatever in Colombia made sense in the sense of domestic politics, right? If this, if the Colombian right, state but not was, an international. no, I mean, they weren't like coming out and targeting like international targets to.
0: And drug trafficking is happening. R- it's right. It's not being deployed as a weapon. Though. No, it's trying it's to make money. Economic demand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but I thought that was a sort of fascinating current event. If you wanted to read some news about something that was not directly related to COVID, though, honestly, is still indirectly related to COVID. Um, and this Venezuela will stuff, be for the next yeah, five months. Venezuela stuff is, uh, I think, something to keep your eye on.
0: Cool. I'll keep watching it. I think we better wind it down. Wind it up here.
1: Well, thank you guys for listening. I hope this was uh, interesting enough. You can. Uh, Give me some thoughts on how it went in the uh, in your uh,
0: hit like and subscribe hit you know?
1: like and subscribe. We were going to try to get this to like actually stream on a podcasting service, but not yet. S- not so yet. far, well, it hasn't. TBD. TBD hasn't happened, so you will just have to listen to it on Blackboard.
0: All right. Well, thanks for letting me join your class for the remainder of this semester, and uh, we'll see talk next time.
1: again this week. Bye, guys. Bye.